It says, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Not, not fear as in afraid and trembling, but fear as in respect and honor and reverence. On those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. His righteousness to children's children. So I'm saying this because this morning we're going to have a very unique service. Uh, I'm going to introduce to you the new directors of the youth ministry, Jessica, I mean, Michael and Jessica Ortega, who have been working with the youth ministries now for a few months. And they want to share with us their heart and their vision for our, for our children. It's not just good enough for me and you to be born again and saved and be sanctified. Our joy and our delight is to know that our children's children is following after our footsteps. Amen. So let's hear from them. Let's hear what, what's on the table. How can we uh, cooperate with them to make sure that the vision and the heart and the desire that they have for our children will come to pass? Amen? Amen. So we're going to have a spoken word. And after the spoken word, the next voices you will hear will be that of Michael and Jessica presenting to us the new revamped youth ministry where they are going and then we're going to dialogue together as to how we are going to get there. Amen? Amen. So now, ladies and gentlemen, I present the summer and introduce you all. Faith Akinmola! Thank you guys, really. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Today is Youth Sunday, and like my dad said earlier, this Sunday is going to be something that's very different than what you've seen in the past, something that's near and dear to my heart. So before I begin anything, I want to ask you guys, basically by a show of hands, how many of you believe that investing in your children is important. Ah, even some of them have rose on hands. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right. And what, and I guess my next question is, your biggest investment in your child's life, in their future, nine times out of 10 is something along the lines of making sure that they have a better future than you did when you grew up. Yes. Do you guys agree with that? Yes. Okay. And one of the major ways, the most important ways that you guys do that through their education, through providing them with opportunities to better themselves and their siblings. Do you guys agree with that as well? Yes. Okay. So youth, you see their intentions. They come from a place of love and dedication. Parents, there's no handbook or guide to parenting. But one thing that I would encourage you guys to do is to read in between the lines. Not just listen to what is being said, but pay close attention to what's not being said. Because I had the opportunity to read a lot of heartfelt letters that are going to be either read or just given to parents today. And what impacted me the most was not necessarily what was on those pages, 
but what wasn't on those pages. And so instead of a generic poem, I wrote my own little letter to the church to try to express to you what I feel was not said. Dear God, I've had you on hold for quite some time. I've started to question your existence. Hello? Hello, are you still there? Man, I knew it. You can't even relate to me. Your greatest trials happened as a man. And your parents, they just seem to be so, so understanding. I wish I could stay behind on a trip and tell them I was about my father's business. I wouldn't have to wait till I was 33 to be crucified. I'm not trying to complain. I just don't see how your message was meant for me. Sometimes I feel like a bastard in my own home, an illegitimate child of circumstance. Sometimes I feel like a bastard in my own family, set aside for a purpose that no one else can see. Sometimes when I'm alone, I cry. I will always be your son, I will always be your daughter, but a child I am no longer. I can no longer stand living in fear. I can no longer stand living in fear of your judgment, fear of your criticism, fear of your left hand. You constantly compare me to you. I was first of my class in 1845. I had straight A's. I became a doctor, an architect. I was well known. But you guys, you're struggling. Why? I guess my question then is, where was ISIS when you were growing up? Where were the suicides, the mass school shootings? How many friends did you lose by the time you were 12? I'm saying all of this to say that the world that we've grown up in that you guys have grown up in has completely changed. I am literally fearful for my own children because I don't know what they're going into when they go to school in the morning or if, God forbid, if they come back that same day. We still hold the same expectations, the same ideals that we grew up in. But many of us say things like, before I was a Christian, I did this. Before I was a Christian, I did that. And we're still holding on to those same ideals as we raise our children. The letters that I read held on to a lot of pain. And something that I said to myself as I grew up in my own household, something that I want you guys to think about really, what do your children know about you, about their siblings, their brothers, their sisters, their cousins, that makes you any different than a stranger to them? We need intimate relationships with our children. I love my culture and I love my people, but one thing that we do a very poor job of is express our emotions. Many of you work day and night to put your children through school, to give them that better future that you guys want for them. And they see that. In fact, they see that too clearly. They need to also see that you work day and night to let them know that you love them. They also need to see that you work day and night to put God first in their lives. 
because their priorities have shifted. Once upon a time, when they were small, God used to be first. We all remember those times. They used to come home reciting Bible verses. Now, their priorities are making parents happy first, doing well in school, taking out the trash, and then God, they'll get to God when they have time. I know many of you guys, when, when your children come home, you ask them, how did they do in school? How are their grades? You do that routinely. But how many ask, how was your conversation with God this morning? How were your prayers last night? How many of you guys put God first in every little thing, including their future? My question is really, how can you invest in their future if you don't know what's happening in their present? What are you investing in? These are all things that we need to consider. These are all things that we need to really analyze when it comes to our children. Because you're right, they are our greatest investment. They are our future. Before I sit down, I really just want to pray. I want to thank God for this opportunity. An opportunity for our children to come up and tell us how they're feeling an opportunity for us to reevaluate ourselves, an opportunity for us to make strives to move forward. Because I know many of us growing up in our own households didn't have this opportunity. We couldn't come before our parents and talk to them and tell them how we feel. So even that in itself is a blessing that I don't want to take for granted. I just want to thank God that whatever is said today is said in an, in an atmosphere of mercy and in an atmosphere of grace, and that all that is being said expresses the true heart of our children, but also gives parents a chance to make changes, parents a chance to make corrections, and parents a chance to let their children know that they're human just like their children are. They're not perfect. They do make mistakes, but they learn from them. They move on. They heal. So thank you guys for this opportunity. I just want to start off by saying we really appreciate you guys and um, the way that you guys have raised your children has been um, humbling to both of us, just getting to know your children and seeing their, their gifts, their talents, their hearts, their passion for the community. Um, and we just appreciate the way you guys are raising them. So today I, I just want to say a quick prayer that um, parents would hear the hearts and understand the hearts of the youth and youth would hear and understand the hearts of the parents but more importantly, youth and parents would hear and understand the heart of God in this matter. So can we play the first video? I'd, if everybody could just watch this video, um, there's some very staggering information on this video that we want you guys to see.
I just want to um, say a quote, and um, this quote is by Adolf Hitler, and the quote is, he alone who owns the youth owns the future. I'll repeat it one more time. He said, he alone who owns the youth owns the future. I, we say this to say that it's not a split um, ownership that's going on with the youth. Um, this battle is not a battle for split ownership. It's a battle for full ownership. And God alone wants the youth to do what he's going to do in this generation. Because the church will only be relevant with the fire and the passion that comes from radical youth that are going with this with this kingdom message. I know we saw it on screen, but I want to break down the statistics and reality. So the typical class in Georgia has around 30 students in it. And when we look at the statistics, that tells us that when your children go to school, at least six people are using drugs in their class. At least 10 people are drinking. 27 of them are watching porn. Three of them have been raped. Six of them have harmed themselves. And then speaking to the youth, and 50% in their class are no longer virgins. So every day that your children are going to school, they're not just dealing with having to get good grades, and they're not just dealing with having to deal with teachers, but they're actually dealing with all this spiritual warfare that comes along with all these kids around them. And I think a lot of times, because we all did grow up in different generations and we really don't think it's as bad as it is, but it is. And stat what's staggering to me and what's scary to me is in sixth grade, I had my first pregnant friend, and that was 20 years ago. By 11 years old, I was introduced to porn. By 12 years old, I had a friend that overdosed of drugs. This was 20 years ago. Now look at all the things that are legalized. I mean... Look at where we are 20 years later. So how much worse is it for them in school than it is for me, than it was for us? And in talking to the, to the youth, we've really gotten to know their hearts. We've gotten to know what, what, um, what they deal with, why they're frustrated. It's become very evident that this, this that we do here every Sunday is not their belief necessarily, but it's their parents' religion. And it really hasn't become real to them yet. So we can come up here, we can worship, we can teach to them, we can do all these things, but we have to make this relevant to them. We have to make this real to them. It said that with these statistics that I just gave you, these are statistics when at least 35% of adults currently are Christians. If something doesn't change in this next generation, it shows that that will drop to 4%, which give these statistics room to grow seven times higher. Our goal as a youth group is to not keep the youth protected from culture, but to teach them how to change culture. If you saw in that video, it said it only took one generation to become radical in the 60s, one generation to change the course of everything. We don't want to see one gift. We've, we've, we've got to know these kids. We've talked to them. They have a lot of gifts, a lot of talents. They really do. I mean, these are some 
I, I was a youth pastor in Charlotte, and I love, love the kids I work with there. But these kids are, I mean, these are very intelligent kids. These are kids that can, I mean, they can become leaders. Um, very talented, very passionate. And we don't want to see one of these gifts or talents that God has given them go to waste. Their calling may be outside of the box from what we think it should be, from what parents think it should be, or even what the church thinks it should be. But we have to be open to that change, and we have to teach them how to listen to the Holy Spirit when it comes to their calling and what they're supposed to do. So how many of you guys would like to see radical change in your nation? I think the majority. That means that we have to let our youth do some radical things. And it, as, as he talked about, one thing that's really been on my heart, and God is really just emblazing um, on my heart, is ISIS, Boko Haram, Crips, Bloods, they're all radical, all of them. So how much more radical do we need to be? And when I say radical, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about relationship. I'm going, talking about going out and touching people. Not being so concerned about just being in our four walls of the church, but getting them out there. Um, I just want to share a couple quick stories with you, and then we, we um, had the youth write letters. A lot of them were scared to write letters. A lot of them didn't, chose not to write the letters. A lot of them, in all honesty, felt like maybe it wouldn't do any good. Some of them felt like they were a little bit too scared to open up that much. Some of them did write letters, and uh, at first we were like, you know, we could edit these letters a little bit, but then we felt like it really, let's just let it be heard. God will move either way. Whether they're wrong or parents are wrong, God's going God's to make it work out, you know? Um, so I just pray that you guys wouldn't take offense to anything, because the kids love you guys dearly. They're, I mean, constantly talking so highly of you guys, but we just wanted them to be able to share their heart on how they're feeling right now. Um, but, you know, this is the thing, is that when we decided to work with the youth ministry, we explained to Pastor Banks that our heart is not to stay inside of the four walls of the church. Because, you know, Michael, I don't, <clears throat> Michael works with kids every day. He's in a facility where he works with kids that have gone through extreme circumstances. He has a kid he's working with now that at 11 years old, he was gang raped by men to get into a gang. He came in with both, both wrists completely broken. He's been shot. I mean, he's, he's just gone through, he's gone through it all. And we see this every day. We've been working with a family recently, um, a mom that has come out of prostitution after 20 years and drugs after 20 years, has eight kids, all different fathers. Uh, several of them have been molested and raped by other family members. The kids has a brand new baby. And when you start seeing what's going on in the world, it's no longer just okay just to come to church. It's not. Because there's people out there that really need us. There's people out there that need the youth. And there's a youth that has recently just been uh, released from the facility he works at and got saved and started changing the lives of the other youth in the facility. And he was able to reach the kids that even Michael couldn't reach because the youth went out. They related to him. So our goal is really to get the youth to that point, to where they're on fire for God, to where they have that desire and that passion to see the world change. Um, we have one more video to show real quick, and then we're going to go on to the letters. But I don't know if any most. I don't know if you guys are familiar or not. But um, Atlanta is the number one hub for sex trafficking. Gwinnett County is the number one county in Georgia. 
So we're actually going to show you a video about the statistics. Now keep in mind that these statistics actually quadruple when you're talking about all ages, but the statistics we're showing right now are specifically for under 18 years old. So one thing that became clear to us is in order for us to reach this goal um, is that we just need to start connecting the youth with the parents again um, in order for everybody to just be on the same page and be able to accomplish what God's called us to as a church. Um, the vision for the church is building strong families to transform the nations by exercising kingdom dominion everywhere. So that is our goal. So the youth wrote anonymous letters. The ones that are reading did not necessarily write these letters at all. Um, but they're going to come up and read for you some of the letters that were written. And again, just please keep open hearts and minds about it. Um, and then we're going to have some conversation after the letters are written. Okay? Can the readers come up for us? Dear parents, I am stressed, okay? 
I am incredibly stressed and tired. I am tired of waking up early to go to a school where ignorance and idiocracy surrounds me. I am, I am stressed because yes, I do know that I do not have an A in such and such class, and yes, I am working on it. I am tired of hearing, how was your day at school? Only for you to use this question to segue into how bad I am doing in each, in such and such class. I understand that you have your bad days, and on those days, I, do, I try not to nag you too much and stay in my room. So when I have a bad day, please give me some space. Sometimes you should hear why I am not doing so well in my classes, instead immediately comparing me to your friend's son slash daughter who gets all A's. Yes, I know you had a long day, but so did I. Yes, I know that I have chores to do, but telling me 50 times isn't going to make me want to do it more. And lastly, telling me the things that I am already stressed about isn't going to make me less stressed. Love you, stressed child. Another one says, first, I'm so grateful for all that you do, and I wish I told you that more. It's harder for me to exp express myself sometimes. Let's start off with something we've all heard before. What does this generation have to com complain about? They've got everything handed to them. They're entitled. So when I try to talk about anxiety and feeling totally overwhelmed, I'm immediately travelized. This isn't just teen angst. So many young people today are just as stressed out and burned out as I am. One of my, friend get, one of my friends gets so depressed that she stays home from school at least a few times every month. It's a real problem. Mental and emotional health is something to take seriously. Why would I ever talk about it when the immediate response would be to get over it? Which, springs up, which ends up making me feel more alone, frustrated, and unhappy than before. Also, I'd hope to be able to have a civil conversation about hard topics without being interrogated or negative assumptions made. Being able to understand another side's perspective does not mean total agreement with that side. Understanding diverse perspectives is a good thing. While a lot of people around me do have varying opinions and beliefs, there's nothing that anyone could do to change my convictions. I wish you'd believe that. We've talked and we've talked, but I wish you took me more time. I wish you took more time to understand. Another reader wrote, <clears throat> Dear Mother, I believe you always want the best for me, but sometimes you can be overbearing. My decisions may not always be best, but at least I made the mistake. I understand you're trying to teach me and you want me to learn from the mistakes you've made, but I'd like to make my own mistakes. I know you care, but sometimes you care too much. I do enjoy school, but it can be unbearable. Your comments only make it worse. I understand the reality of my mistakes and I would appreciate if you would let me make them. Your experience as a youth was very different, not only because of the time period, but also because of zeitgeist. The, the problems could be fixed with time, although I don't believe that everything can be fixed at once. I love you dearly. Another, dear parents, this is the first and probably the last time I'll be talking back to you. This isn't just a big fight of the power speech rather than a look and listen type of thing. I would mainly like to address a disconnect I feel between us. To begin, I feel as though you guys don't trust me enough to take care of myself. I know you guys want the best for me, but at times you get very overbearing. For example, when I have homework or a test to study for, trust me to take care of it. Also, you can't always assume that you know what I'm doing. I work more often than you expect, and when I hear that I'm being lazy, lazy, I feel largely discredited. In addition, you guys make it hard for me to be sociable. 
I understand when you guys reprimand me for making big mistakes online, but at, some but at times you make it hard for me just to get out and talk to my friends. You guys get upset when I'm upset talking to my friends because that's, and I quote, all I do. But then if I, but if and when I ask you to go somewhere, you guys seem reluctant to take me out. It's a general pain trying to enjoy myself. Don't get me wrong, you guys are the most amazing parents to grace this earth, but I feel like things could be better. We could be a power trio. Dear parents, I know raising children is not easy, but I would like to say I don't like how you try to compare me to my siblings. I'm not them, I am my own person. I know you want the very best for me and want me to excel in school and make all A's, but there's nothing wrong with A's and B's. I realized in school I have a harder time understanding the material than other kids, especially math. I've always had a hard time understanding it. The problems the teacher put on the board look like hieroglyphics. And not everyone is meant to be an engineer or doctor. This is so stressful. All this pressure from school and from parents. I feel like God has blessed me with many gifts, like painting. I feel like I'm called to be an artist. I am who I am. And here's another one. Dear parents, firstly, let me say a big thank you for all you guys do. There's no manual to parenthood, but it is evident in a generation of leaders being raised in the church that you are all doing the best you can. As in any and every relationship, there will always be ups and downs, disagreements, and miscommunications, and the parent-child relationship is no different. If I could give a word of advice to the parents, it would be to actually sit down and talk to your kids. Although the saying, there's nothing new under the sun, is still relevant to this day, the magnitude at which children today are exposed to different things greatly differs from what many parents grew up around. It can be very overwhelming to go into the world as a young person and come home and be pleasant when paired with parents who they feel do not care to see how they are feeling. As many of us in this church are first generation insert nationality here, Americans, the disconnect in culture and environment can cause a great rift in parent-child communication and interaction. I believe in order to create and maintain a healthy relationship amongst parents and the children, there must be humility where parents actually listen and heed to what their children are saying, and then children respect what they are told when they feel like they've been heard. If you don't talk to your children, the world will. Of course, no one knows your child better than you, but it is very evident today that a parent and child's relationship is very important in shaping the character of your child, as well as preparing them for their own different relationships in the future. Train your children in the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. Train, aka lead, and leading often requires submission as well, aka guide your children in love, grace, and the belief that ultimately God is the keeper of your children. You are just the steward. Dear mom and dad, first off, I wanna say I love you, but there's a few things I need to tell you. Sometimes when we have a disagreement, you always get to say your point and never allow me to say what I want to, let alone finish. You always seem to cut me off. So now we have a disagreement I no longer see the point in talking or saying how I feel, I just listen. There's really no point in saying how I feel when you just end up saying my point doesn't matter anyway. Sometimes I feel like an outcast in my own family. Not even my parents can try to understand where I'm coming from at times. I feel so alone because I don't have too many friends that I can relate to or that understand me as a person. I don't just need someone that can listen, but someone that can understand the depth of what I'm saying or where I'm coming from. 
not just a regular person, but a child of God. I guess my only true friend is God. Dear parents, I know that I have certain responsibilities to accomplish, but when you continue to nag me about it, no good comes from it. You should trust me enough to know that I will do everything I need to do. I hate it when you continue to talk down to me or when you compare me to other kids. Going off on small things is not going to make me feel comfortable telling you bigger issues. I know that you do the best you can and I appreciate everything you do. I just feel as if we listened more than agreed with, I just feel that if you listened more and agreed, we would have a better relationship. Hey dad, I first want you to know that I love you and I've actually never done anything intentionally to let you down, but I am a human and sometimes I make mistakes. Mistakes do not seem to exist to you, so I'd rather not open up about my mistakes and talk about this definition that is uncommon in your vocabulary. My school is a melting pot, different people, different problems with different challenges, but the impact of this in my life seems seems like it's foreign to your train of thought. You're a great man of, of accomplishment, but I find myself feeling disconnected and distant. You tell me I have a purpose, but you never listen when I tell you I have a purpose. I often feel we live in two different worlds. I, I could confide in you more if I knew you didn't know it at all, even if you had all the answers. I have more than one identity you know. I'm a son to you, but I'm a friend to others. You are a father to me, but I am a friend to the fatherless. And I am not less than a friend regardless of your perspective. I can reach the people you can't see, but how can you reach them if you can't reach me? Uh, mine's actually not anonymous, and my little brother's gonna come up here and help me. To our mother, uh, we don't feel the need to say a lot because we already tell you everything, but we did want to take this opportunity to honor you for being the great mother that you are. Being a mother certainly isn't effortless. It requires so much sacrifice, and we want you to know that we see your effort. We see the work that you put in, and it is not in vain. You're not a perfect mom, you know that, and we're not perfect children, we know that, but we thank God because it has allowed us to grow in grace together. Mitch Album once said, there's a story behind everything, how a picture got on a wall, how a scar got on your face. Sometimes the stories are simple and sometimes they are hard and heartbreaking. But behind all your stories is something, is always your mother's story because hers is where yours begins. We want to thank you, Mom, for our stories. We thank you for what you've done. You've loved us. You have supported us, and you have always been there for us. You have never left us, and we thank you for that. We want to, th 
We want to thank you for finding the perfect balance between being a mother and a friend. We want to thank you for knowing when to let us make the little mistakes and for keeping us from making the big ones. We want to know that we see the cross that you bear and we thank you for teaching us to carry our own. We thank you for seeing us not as our flesh or our flaws, but as we are in Christ. So right now, your children rise and call you blessed. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. We love you, Mommy, to the moon and back again a thousand times. So we just want to leave some time for um, Q&A. Um, if any of the parents have any um, questions or just want further understanding on some of the topics that the youth have talked about, we want to leave some room for that now. Is there anybody that has a question or has anything to say? Any comments? Hmm? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you all. Um, as a parent, I think uh, somebody made a statement that uh, there is no parenting principles uh, that are picked up or established or that uh, you read uh, to be a parent. So these things go both ways. But in one of the letters, I had something said about trust. I know there is one thing that trust brings. Trust is end. Trust cannot just be there. So uh, there is a reason why trust sometimes cannot be established. You, 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 you have to earn it. You have to show it. So when you do things that are unreasonable and you, you need trust, it doesn't just come that way. So you need to understand that part of it. Uh, there's another part of it that um, between you and myself as a parent, 2020, I mean, hindsight is 20, is, is uh, 2020. So, um, you know, we were once kids. We had uh, our life and we told our parents how difficult our life was. And this just continues to evolve. Um, I mean, there is a reason why I am a parent. Uh, you go to school, you meet friends. Uh, those friends are your friends. You are my child. And uh, they are just certain things that I will not, I will not let you get into. I understand the world better than you understand. You can bring this grammar, you know, uh, that you want to bring. Uh, but uh, when I was growing up, I was told that you cannot teach your father how to eat eggs. Eggs existed before you and I were born. So um, we, we understand that. Uh, believe me, 
the world is going where it is because of the same rights that you are looking for. You know, it may be if you had the weeping that I had, you will not even have the chance to write the letter that you are writing. <laughs> you know, and yet, yet I came out right. So, um, uh, we're going to work together. Uh, yes, that is acceptable uh, because uh, the world is taking us to a place where both you and I have not been. So, um, we can only trust in God and, and work together. We understand. I, I reminisce. I sit sometimes and reminisce about what my life was all about, what my parents did that was unreasonable. But if you ask them, that is what the package came with, you know. So uh, on, on behalf of somebody, I might apologize, but those training skills that nobody gave me is what I'm using. Thank you. I just want to thank you for your boldness. I want to thank you for coming out really well to express how you feel. I once said this on the pulpit once. I think there was something that, a discussion that went on, and I said, I wish I could change it all over again, and I'm saying that again. I said right here that I was a tyrant, and um, I ruled with that iron fist. And as I grew older and as my children grew older, I found out that I could have done it differently. I could have mixed it up with a lot of love, a lot of conversations, a lot of understandings. I could have given them more hugs. You know, when I was growing up, just like he said, I had the most beatings from my dad. And I was really up here a stubborn kid. I knew I was coming home for a beating because I didn't do certain things I was supposed to do. But when I look back at 17 years old, my brother said, why can't you just do the things dad wants you to do? <laughs> I, and, I, and I reasoned to myself and I said, well, you know, I think some of the problems I'm having is actually I, 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 I took that time to own up to it. And really, when I grew up as an adult, I now saw the direction of what my father was trying to do to me. And I wish he was alive today. He died at the age of 49. But he gave me the best training that I could ever have wished for. He really did. And I, there, was, there was nothing that I wouldn't have done for him today if he was alive. And I would have said a thousand times, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Because I was going slowly on the slippery uh, slope. I was falling away. But that brought me back. Now, coming to you, I understand perfectly where you are because I once felt that way. And I'm also encouraging our parents, let's mix it up with love. There's something legitimate that they're saying. And we need to listen. They did it one way back there in Africa. We're not in Africa. 
And that's why we have problems in Africa. I've taken trips. I've taken trips last year twice. And I saw some sharp kids, really sharp, sharp kids. And I also saw kids that didn't have any confidence in themselves. And that's really what's happening in Africa. Those who have the love, who have the understanding, are really rising up to be great leaders in the world. And then on the other side, you have kids who have no self-confidence, and they end up where they are. There was, a, there was also a documentary that was done where, um, I, I can't remember his name, but he followed kids from different countries and different continents from the time they were born to the time they were about 22. Some were from, lit, from really well-to-do homes, some were from kids that came from family that were filled with love, and some were kids came from affluent homes. And one thing that they found out was that the environment actually shaped the lives of those kids, some for bad and some for good. So we as parents, we really need to pay attention to what they're saying. And let's not dismiss it. It's very important. And I wish I, as a parent, I apologize for many of the mistakes that we have made in raising you up. And I've said that to my kids countless times. So on behalf of all the parents here, where we've done wrong, I'd like you to say we apologize and we will try and strive to be better parents. Thank you, Michael and Jessica. Thank you, the ones that are there. And thank you, all the children that are there. Um, I'm full of emotions. But I want you children to know one thing. It takes two to tango. I, for one, I communicate with my children. On a dining table, and we go through discussions. And I always ask them, be open to me. Talk to me. Parents, we do what they have to do, but you have to take a role in it as well. I, for one, my adult life was in U.S. I was a young man when I came here. I grew up on my own. If the foundation wasn't good, I could have been in jail. I have friends who have gone to jail. I have friends who came from prosperous and heavily connected parents. In the days that we are here, we blow money like nothing. And guess what? They never finished school. I remember when I first came here, and I had money that was coming to me. And I was living life big. And when that money stopped, I knew where I came from. I have to work hard to make sure I got my certificate. Let me tell you. You children, you got to know what you have.
communicate with your parents. Don't hide your feelings. They've been through a lot. When I tell my children, all the things that you're exposed now is not because I just pluck it from the pluck of the trees. It takes, it takes training. It takes wisdom. It takes listening and looking at examples around you. I look at my friends. I look at my peers. I could have done anything. I've been so independent when before I was even 18. But the echo of my parents, no matter how hard it was, always pulled me apart. I can confess to you, I've smoked weed. I've smoked weed because I was around it. But to the grace of God, it didn't destroy me. I have friends, when the last time I went home, it's now lunatic. Lunatic on the street. If not because his parents were rich, the boy would have been running around the street. He has been lunatic for more than 25 years. And one of my friends said, let's drive to their house and go and look at it. I was saying, what do I need to go and do there? But let me tell you, because of the love of the parents, I saw him, he dressed nice, but there's nothing up here anymore. When he saw me, I said, did you know Tunde Loye? Yes, sir. He, he didn't know what he was doing. I don't know. He said, do you know Wally Bankuri? I don't know. He kept on, but it was neat, but nothing was there. Why am I saying this? Your parents love you. It might be hard love. Yes. Communicate with each other. I tell my children, you see, I could have turned to be anything if I don't have anybody who's holding me accountable. Accountability might be hard sometimes. I never loved my dad. But I knew he put something in me that I'm taking in life today. Because I thought it was harsh. But thank God it was harsh on me. If you were not, if you were, if you were just let it loose, can you imagine coming to America at that young age? You say you are exposed to things. I was exposed to a lot. A lot. I have people that would derail you from your focus. I have, the first job I have, I have access to checks. And that was so, crime was among Nigerians. A friend called me, he said, can I take one of the checks and issue this so that we can start be, you know, making money? <laughs> yes! These are people I call friends. If not because I know where I'm on, I could have been in jail. My career would have not been like this. I wouldn't even have these children that I have or even have opportunity to train them. What am I telling you? If your parents is not getting it right, find room to hold them. If I give you an assignment to do in my house and you don't do it, ah, you can't have your cake and have it at the same time. <laughs> there are responsibilities for each one of us. I respect my children, but I expect them to respect my direction. If there's any way that we cannot negotiate it, let us talk because I give room for expression. I do give room for my children except if you don't want to speak. Because I can't read your mind. There's a forum for us to talk because I call meetings. I do prayer session with my children. We do devotion together. We would say the word of God. I don't my part. I expect my children to do their part. But everything in love. And that's what I want. And I want you children, if you don't, if you, I have children that visited me from London, their parents, 
their dad is my friend. And myself and my children were on the dining table and we were talking about life issues. And that boy broke down at the age of 27 after graduation from school, from university. And he pulled me, he said, Uncle, in my 27 years, I've never experienced this with my father. We should always appreciate what we have. I want my children to understand that or appreciate. My daughter went to school in New York. Dupe, I was scared for a girl to go to New York, all the way in Albany. She came back and told me, thank you, Daddy, for the training you've given us. Amen. She has never complained one day that she wants to come back home. And we, just, and we can see we have been wrong because of our training and our communication sometimes could be harsh. I know that. I'm guilty of it. And I'm working on it. And I'm sorry I'm taking the microphone for I have a nephew yesterday. For one and a half hours in London, I have to speak to him. 25 years of age in nuclear physicist, PhD. His father is extremely rich. And he said, Uncle, I am on antidepressant medication because of my dad. I'm trying to live up to my dad rather than live up to my own. There is dialogue. It doesn't have to get to that level. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Um, I'm kind of an African mommy. I'm visiting here. I don't live here. And um, I listened to the speaker that spoke before the last one, and what caught me was when he said, that's the problem with Africa. But I beg to differ. Because being a mom from Africa, and let me tell you that I'm the super mom that the kids love. When I visit my kids, I, I'm the mom that everybody talks to. I'm the mom that, but my daughter says, she sees that sometimes I want to flex my muscle and show I'm in charge. I said, no, I'm not flexing my muscles. We have to know when we're friends and when we're mom, daughter. Because the key thing here is, I must not be your friend. I'm your mom first. I'm there to set you straight. Now, when the speaker said that's the problem of Africa, the reason I say I differ is the, the environment in Africa is different. So we cannot raise the kids the same way they are raised here. The challenges are different as well. So we cannot go the same way we do here as we do in Nigeria. My same daughter, she's like my best friend. We came here for summer this year and we had this other family that was with us and at a point I got really upset. I'm like, Oremi, your daughter, your children are very, are so not well behaved. You know, I was getting upset. And my mother, my daughter says to me, Mama, it's because you've abused us from birth, so we don't know we have rights. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you're right. You don't have rights because you're a child. I'm the person that will tell you what is right. And the reason I keep stressing that is from a personal experience. Growing up, I had an awesome dad. I grew up in my opinion of a luxurious life in Nigeria. And when I was ready to go to university, it did not matter to me what I wanted to study, but I wanted to go to University of Lagos. Just because I wanted to be a Unilag babe, it didn't matter to me what was going on. And when Unilag gave me admission for languages, 
I was a science student in school. I meant to study medicine, but somehow my act didn't work out. So I'm like, you know what, whatever Unilag gives me is okay. And my father, with his connections, says, you know what, you can go to Osuka and study law. You can do this. And eventually, long story short, because of my persuasion, he eventually let me study languages in Unilag. But I'm 41 years old today. And every time I think about it, I say my father did not do me justice by allowing me to have my way. He should have kept me in the East. I felt my father failed me by allowing me to go back to, the, to Lagos because I wasn't informed. I was 18 and had no knowledge of what I was doing. So at 18, you think you know it all. My son is 18 now, and I watch him. I know where he's going with certain things. At 18, you know nothing, but you think you know it all. But years down the line, you're going to look at it and say, wow, that's what she was talking about. Now, do we want to let you make the same mistakes as you made? No, we don't want to let you make those mistakes. I already know where you're going. So my daughter wants to study law. Yes, law is good, but sweetie, study pharmacy. Let's work on this. These are my reasons. Okay, these are your reasons. It might not be the ideal way of parenting, but from my experience, I'm trying to stop you from making the same mistakes I already know that I made. So sometimes it's not as easy as saying, let me make my own mistakes. Why do I want to let you go the same down the same line? Yes. Why do I want to let you make the same mistakes? It might be so expensive that we might not. Yes, we know you need to make mistakes and learn from it. Experience is the best teacher. But why can't we share my experience? Thank you. Thank you. As we move forward, um, with the people that are speaking in the mic, I just want us to be mindful of time. But um, I just want to share, share something. Keep it to about two, two minutes, if you can. But um, I want to share something. Um, and that is, with culture, I, I actually, I beg to differ. Because here's the thing. When we talk about the kingdom culture, it is not limited by anybody's culture. It doesn't matter if you're Japanese. It doesn't matter if you're Nigerian. It doesn't matter if you're American. The kingdom culture works. I'm telling you, it works. And if we apply the principles and the grace of God, it'll work. You'll see the, the development because here's what God said. He said that the life of Jesus was the light of man. That, that, word, that word life, the light means development. The life of Jesus was the development of man. So when we bring the life of Jesus to our children, to their friends, there's development. There's no, they, there's no way that there will not be development. And here's one more thing. Is I hear the issue of trust. And I know, I, know, I know the parents here. I know they love their children. I have no doubt about it. I have no doubt about it. But here's the thing. Who should we be looking to to be good parents? Because that should be the challenge. By our natural senses and intentions, we may mean well. And, and so be it. God may help us in that, in our limitations. But he has, he has ideal ways for us to parent. So here's my question. When it comes to the issue of trust, how did God trust us? Let's, let's, let's look at the beginning when he created Adam. When he, when he created Adam, did he give him a will or did he not? Did Adam have a free will? Did God know he was going to blow it? Did he give him the keys anyway? And he knew he was going to totally blow it and he blew it. And God knew it. God let them... You know, we try and keep our children away from the things they shouldn't be around. God left them in the garden by the thing he didn't want them to touch. 
He was right there by the thing God didn't want him to touch. But he was expecting him to trust and, and heed to his word. But he gave him the free will to make his decision. Do you know why? The motivation has to be by love. The power has to be by love. And when it comes to raising our children as fathers and mothers, we cannot afford to be stern with our children. We can't afford it. We cannot afford it because love is a fury on its own. The love of God is a fury on its own. And we have to look at what is motivating our children. Because we can try and control them, but by God I tell you that they're going to do it anyway. They're going to do it. So what's going to be the motivation? Is it going to be fear? That's going to stop them from doing what they need to do? Or is it going to be love? Because love is more powerful on its own. To guide them. To instruct them. To lead them on their way. So we have to start trusting in love. Knowing that we're stewards. But God is, God, God is the only person that can hold their being. He is the only one. He held us and he's the only one that can hold them. When they're out there, you can't see them. God is the one that holds their being. So let's be mindful of that. Amen. want to say one quick a uh, couple quick things this was that I, somebody brought up that the it should be two ways you need to communicate it was actually the youth idea to do this because they want those doors to be open they just didn't feel comfortable doing it on their own number one number two I'm gonna share um, something that the youth told us that was very profound the first time they ever felt connected to this church is when the message of grace started being taught because up until then, it was all law. It was all fire and brimstone. And who wants a God that just seems so hateful? I grew up, my dad was a pastor. When I was growing up, he was under some interesting teachings at the time. Um, and it was very fire and brimstone. You don't do this, you're going to go to hell. Just don't do it. There was no, but you know, they never came to me and said, this is why. It's actually, you're more valuable to God than putting yourself in these situations. And it wasn't until they changed their message that my life changed because when they were going firing the fire and rimstone in my face, I was up in the club every weekend. And I was with, I mean, I was with rappers and NBA. I mean, we, I was a party girl. And I put myself in a lot of situations. I'm, I'm surprised. I talked to some of my friends from back then. I am shocked that I'm alive to this day. I've had guns, knives pulled on me. I have, I mean, I've, I've seen it all. But it wasn't until that message changed and I saw how valuable I was in God's eyes and how valuable my calling was to the world that I fell in love with God. And now you don't have to come to me with a fear to not do things. I do them out of my love now. So let's keep that in mind because it's not, this is the thing. It's not, again, this conversation today was not even just about the parents. It wasn't just about the youth, but it's about how are we going to go out and build the kingdom of God? Because that's what the only reason this relationship even exists between youth and parents, between husband and wife, is to build the kingdom of God. And the whole reason to do this was to open up those lines of communication to start drawing you guys together. The youth may not always be right. The parents may not always be right. They know that. We've talked about it in youth. But we have to come to a point where we are walking with our kids in love. And even when it comes to making mistakes, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to do it. We cannot downgrade them for doing those things. All of us do it. And some of my biggest 
some of the things I've learned the most have come from my mistakes, to be honest with you. And you do have to realize that you are a steward of the kids. You are not, you're not their owners. God is. <laughs> we're gonna take a we're gonna take a couple more because um we're a little bit behind right now. So we're gonna take a couple more. Please keep it down to wanted to I feel like there's a misunderstanding with the what a lot of parents are seeing that we don't appreciate you but that's not true um I just want you guys to know that we truly 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 and we know that when we get older we're gonna be like yeah yeah thanks mom thanks for helping me but at the same time I always feel like there's room for improvement so like I understand what all of you are saying and I really do appreciate it but at the same time it's almost like you're not looking for room to improve and I feel like not that I'm a parent and I understand the ideas of parenting but I feel like as a parent what I want to do for my child is to always look for rooms for improvement, look for rooms to improvement to improve and to listen to my kids. So instead of just telling us, yeah, yeah, we like we love you, this is hard love, but it's gonna help you, I feel like a lot of this, what you should hear, you should go home and have this conversation with your child and say, why do you feel this way? Why do you feel like I do this? Is there something I could do better? Not that what your parent, your parenting obviously is amazing because we're all amazing kids, but. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I just do want to remind you that there's always room for improvement. So, yeah. I just want to thank Pastor. Just want to thank you, Michael and Jessica. <clears throat> um, my father was the Second World War Army. And you know, growing up from a family like that, You know what I mean. Um, I, by the grace of God, I've been a mother, I've been a grandmother. I saw you when you went. You know what I mean. I taught a class before, below you. Three years old, four years old, babies. And I just want to thank you for being bold for us to communicate today. And I believe on behalf of mothers, grandmothers here, Michael says something very important and I, I just grabbed that and I want to ask you, how can I make you to trust me? That when I see you on the hallway, Hilda will say, good morning, how are you? That when I ask you how are you high school, do you think I'm just asking for asking? Or do you think I ask you because I care? How can I communicate with you for you to know that I love you and I care about you? Is there any way we can communicate? I'm not a mother. I don't want to mother you. I don't want to be your grandmother. But I just want to help you know that from the bottom of my heart I mean well and I want well. How can I make you understand that if I said I will pray for you when you are going through maybe exams or whatever you are going through that when I say whatever I say that I meant it. 
when I was growing up, I was about you guys' age. My mom always used to ask me one question when I come back from school, when we have our grades back. She asked me what grade I had, I tell her. And then she asked me, does anybody got a grade higher than yours? I say yes. And she will ask me a question. The question is, does he have two heads? Something like that. It upset me for a while until I understood what she was trying to do. She wasn't trying to compare me to somebody else. The question really was, the grade that you got, was it from your best effort? All of you guys standing there, every time I talk to you guys, is about education. I care about what it is that you're going to do. Because I'm fortunate to be working and I see people who have so many regrets. Oh, I should have done better in this class. Oh, I should have done this. But, and I also see a lot of you have some contentment inside. I had a B. Oh, that's great. But is it, you guys always ask, say, like, oh, Uncle Pierre, I have this, but you're not happy. I'm not happy because I see you and I know you. I know you have more than that left in the tank. Why not put it in your work? You have to put it out there. Why? Because at the end of the day, you won't have any regrets. Your parents are not asking you these questions because they want to compare you. If you think about it in that way, maybe you, sh you should shift a little bit your thinking in those questions. Some of them may be overbearing, but at the end of the day, your parents really just want you to succeed. They want you to be better than they are. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how bad you look at the situation right now. You see how the CEOs or whatever, but they want you to do better because they know that they, you have that in you. If you don't push yourself, somebody has to push you. But that does not mean that they don't care. It doesn't mean that all you kids have one thing. I talk to you. I talk to your sister. I talk to all of you guys. Time management. You have 24 hours in one day. That's a lot of time. If you don't know that, it is a lot. But as you grow up, you realize that, you know what? I should shorten some things I shouldn't be doing. How much time do you spend? All of you, if I ask you, how many time do you spend in a week on your cell phones and all those things? If you condense that time and you focus on studying, on doing those things that you're supposed to be doing, it's going to be beneficial. It is not because this is not out of anger or anything. It's because of the love of God that they have in them. And they just want to take that out of you. They want you to be able to take that thing that you have inside. That's all I have to say. Amen. Thank you. Uh, this is all I see here. There are certain constants and there are certain variables. There are two things that has never changed in life. One is parents and children. You can't change those. They are constants. A parent will always be a parent. A child will always be a child. You can't change that. But I think from everything everybody has said and what's going on, the only few things that are now changing it's the environment, the culture, and certain expectations. 
Those are the variables. Those are the things we should work on. And I believe uh, the challenge is on both sides. Here is what I now see. Communication. I think the parents are communicating. I think we are communicating. Because you have so many things you've written in your letters that are communications. We don't like this. We don't like this. We complain too much. So we're communicating. But you are not communicating. You don't talk to your parents. You go to school and tell your peers and your friends. So the missing link that I see here is not from this side of the house. Because you are saying we talk too much. You're saying we complain too much. We do this and do that. And, but we don't hear you at all. You don't talk to us. You only talk within yourselves. So what has happened is you've taken the trust from the home. You put it outside. I challenge you, children. Talk to your parents. Let, let my child come to me and say, Daddy, whatever. I will not do like my father did to me. No, but for, 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 for real, I won't. So, there are two constants. I will say this because that's all I'm getting from this. Parents, children will never change. You, you, you can't be a parent if I'm your father. You will always be my child. And I can't be your child if I'm your father. You always be, you know what I'm saying? Those things are fixed. They are constant. Now, are we going to allow the variables now to change the constants? The environment? The influences from peer pressure group? Are you saying that we should allow that to destabilize the constants? I don't think that is right. Communicate to your parents and I think there will be a difference. Uh, good afternoon. Um, I just feel like it should be said that, uh, I mean, personally, I feel like I can talk from a neutral ground because I've seen the change in my parents, like from childhood to now, that like before I couldn't, not that I couldn't talk to them, but it was almost like you came to them out of fear. And that's just from being a child where they're telling you not to do something, you're asking why, and you're a child, why you can't be asking why. But then I feel like as you grow older, and you come to your parents and you talk to them, I feel like that it's then that they can finally understand and like finally implicate to you exactly why they're telling you you should be a doctor or you should be a pharmacist or whatever. But I also feel that, yes, doctors and lawyers are probably the most profitable fields and most secure fields, but there's also other fields out there that you can make money and you can do something. You have to also remember that why would you want to spend the rest of your life, your 40, 60 years in the workforce doing something that you don't enjoy, that every time you go to work you're thinking, why am I here, spend another 40 hours a week? It's just those type of moments that I feel like parents should just try to reflect on and remember that, yes, we do understand where you're coming from, we do want to be successful, don't, we all want to do something great with our lives, but there's other outlets for us to become successful other than the ones provided and the ones that we're supposed to or that we're, or we're expected to follow. I just want to say one quick thing and then we're done, actually. Um, <clears throat> we're not downgrading education at all. Both of us are finishing our master's now, and I graduated with honors. However, it wasn't until I found my calling with God and I realized that education was not my identity did I really care about school. 
number one. Number two, what he brought up was a great point. Why would we want to spend the rest of our lives doing something we might not be called to do? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want a doctor operating on me that really doesn't want to be there. And I don't want a lawyer handling my case when they don't feel like they're called to be there. So the point is really just to find what, what the kid's calling is. And it's not about you. It's not about me. It's actually about what God wants them to do. And that's all it is. Amen. Amen. Oh, come on. Give God some glory. Give God some praise. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, I 